Hey everyone, welcome back to the It's a Mind Game podcast and now YouTube. Um, my name is Jade. I'm so excited to have Jimena with us today. She's also known as the Pregnancy RD on Instagram. She is a registered dietitian who helps women all over the world recover from HA. Jimena works with women to heal their relationship with food and exercise so they have the capacity to fall pregnant naturally, all while working on their relationship with food and exercise. Previously, she has worked in an outpatient eating disorder center in New York City, but ultimately she decided a new path was calling her and moved into private practice. Jimena now lives in Houston, Texas with her husband and daughter. Not only does she help women with HA and ED, but she also has her own story to share. So we're going to hear about both of those things. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited too. I found you on Instagram and I've been looking at your posts and obviously I'm so interested to hear your story. Um, I have had a few dietitians come on, but I've never actually spoken with someone who's worked in an eating disorder outpatient center, which I would imagine would add a whole new capacity to things that you've witnessed and helped women through. Oh. So um, for sure. I'm very interested to hear all about your own journey and also how you've helped women, I guess, of all extremes, get through what is a really difficult time. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to dive in. Yes. Well, what about if we start with your journey? And mm -hmm. I guess so you had a loss of period twice. So we might yep. go through the first time and then we'll lead into the second time and then we'll go into how you help women. Sounds good. Um, so I'll start, like you said, with the first one. So this goes back to when I started college. So at least 12 years ago, um, I had moved to New York. So I, I was living in Spain before I started college. Um, and I moved to New York, started college. I was alone. I didn't have any family. I knew some people, but you know, everything was new to me um, and very exciting and also stressful. So pretty quickly and going into college, at least in the US, everyone always talks about the freshman 15. So gaining 15 pounds when you start college. So I going into college had heard that and was very adamant about not gaining weight when I started college. Um, so you know, I, I wanted to stay healthy. It started as me being healthy. Um, and pretty quickly, I, I noticed my period was missing, which had never happened to me before, before I would get regular periods. Um, so I thought that was kind of weird. And I knew I wasn't pregnant. Um, at this point, I wasn't on any birth control. So I went to the clinic to see what was going on. And the I think it was a nurse practitioner she told me oh it's very normal like didn't think anything of it and just told me go on birth control and it'll just fix everything so I was like all right that seems pretty easy I'll do that so I started taking birth control and didn't think about it for the next three years or so and at the time, sorry to interrupt, the period, yeah. the, the bleed that you're getting on the pill, were you under the impression that that was a real bleed at the time or yeah, because that's sort of a newer yes, thing that we all tend sure. to know now, but back then it's like, no, my period's showing up every month. I'm, I'm healthy. No concerns. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I 
you know, I asked her and she's like, yeah, it's totally normal. You'll get your period and it'll just be protective. Like it'll protect your bones and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So I, I, you know, yeah, I (laughs) took it for two or three years, I guess. Um, And then at that point, that's when, you know, during those years, I, so that was the first sign that my missing period was the first sign of what would become an eating, an eating disorder for me. Um, so I, you know, that progressively got worse over the years. Um, and at one point I realized that I needed help and that was a really tough time. And so I I did get treatment for, you know, I took time off school, um, and just focused on recovery from my eating disorder. Um, And at that point, I was also told, nobody told me it was HA, but um, they told me it was very common with an eating disorder to have a missing period. Mm -hmm. So they recommended that I go off birth control um, so that I could see when I got a regular period back, Uh, which can't remember exactly when that was, but after a few months of very focus and intense treatment I did get my period back and that was such an exciting day for me I remember like (laughs) going running down the stairs and telling my entire family that I'd gotten my period it was very exciting um so that was the first time can I just ask the first time could you describe for us what your behaviors around food were um during that yeah. time and and I, I'd imagine they sort of would have shape-shifted they would have started quite innocent and got quite intense as things went on yeah. um and also were you exercising during that time and emotionally were you stressed about say school family relationships yeah so I had all three <laughs> um, we tend so, to <laughs> yeah. so it started with uh you know I just wanted to be healthy um so I started eating more vegetables and eating less sweets and desserts. And um, so just something that I, when I moved to the US in Spain, I think it's changed now. Uh, But at the time there were no calorie, like nutritional labels Mm. and calorie amounts on foods, or if there were, it just wasn't very obvious. But when I moved to the US, it was everywhere. Like everything had calories. You could go to restaurants and everything had calories. So that was a big change for me. So I was like, oh, maybe I should start counting calories. Um, And I think even in the school cafeteria, you know, they would have calories. I'm not, I can't remember that for sure, but I feel like that would be Mm. something they they did. Um, So, you know, I also started counting calories eventually. And this is something that shocks me to this day like I I can't believe I did this but I would actually have notes like motivating notes on my desk saying like you don't need sweets like they don't do anything for you things like that Mm. like eat your veggies things like that me too yeah (laughs) so like diet culture right yeah there was another one that I can't remember the quote for the life of me at the moment but it was like um I was implying like the longer you wait, the closer you are to your goal or oh, 
I, it wow. used to be, I had it as my screensaver on my phone. Like, and I've never thought of this until you just brought it up, but, and I'm like, that's how much it doesn't hold on me anymore. Cause I, I can't remember what it was, but I remember at times being really hungry and looking at it being like, oh my God. waiting gets success, not eating, waiting, oh, like use that yeah. discipline, hold off, get lean. Oh, it's funny that I can't yeah. remember it though. Cause I, I remember it being my <laughs> wallpaper. I can see it in my mind. I just can't see the words. But no, it's I, funny I how you remember you you forget those like details that were mm. so like daily. You saw yeah. them daily, and that was so inspirational to me as well. Like I remember yes. looking at them for motivation. It's like oh, words yep. of wisdom. Yes, got this. Keep going. Yes. Wow, you you took me back on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, so there was that. You know, and I also, I used to eat a snack in the afternoon um, and I would stop eating snacks. My relationship with food before I moved to New York was very normal. Um, I, I didn't have any issues or concerns with weight for the most part. Um, then exercise, you know, I, I had a gym, the university gym. So I would go to the gym I'd say at least three times and it would all be cardio. Mm -hmm. So if I would focus on cardio um, and I have, you know, I would mostly, I like doing classes. So I would mostly do classes, um, group classes. Um, and in terms of the stress, oh, and also in New York, you walk everywhere. So, you know, you walk to class, you walk to meet your friends, like there's walking all the time. So I didn't really think that was exercise, but mm. that also was yeah, a factor. Um, in terms of stress, I was very, very stressed. It was a very difficult time in my life. Um, so like I mentioned, I had moved to New York. I, I had family close-ish, um, but I saw them once in a while. I didn't have any real friends. Um, so everything, everything was new in this huge city. Um, I also went to a school that didn't really have a campus. So a lot of schools in, in the States have a campus. So you have like a, a little community. And the one I went to was just integrated into the city. So <laughs> It's just like the fast pacedness of it was New hard York to City find was, like your tribe as well. Yeah, like your sure. community. Yeah. So and I really wanted that from the get-go. And I just I made friends, but I lacked that connection that I had with my friends back home. I was also at the time in a long distance relationship um, with a boyfriend I had, had for a few years. Um, so that was super difficult for me because he, so his family had also moved away from Spain. So it's not like when we went home, we would see each other. So that was also very, like, it took a big Hi. toll on me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and at the time I was like, oh, maybe I should switch schools. Cause this is like, I'm, I'm not enjoying this. And it was it was a really tough time mm. for sure. So I had all three. Yeah, no, it sounds like, and just by hearing what you're saying too, it it makes sense how you sort of got 
sucked into the tornado of calorie counting and reading labels and because it's like there's so many things in my environment that I don't know and is new to me but I understand numbers and those calories and numbers and you already knew from the start you didn't want to gain that 15 uh, pounds yeah so between the two I've got nothing to grasp onto because I'm trying to find my way this seems familiar this is going to give me comfort it's it's such an easy way to fall into those behaviors isn't it it's yeah. um it's something that you can control and that I could you know I could think manipulate. about when you had nothing else to yeah. think about and yeah, yeah absolutely so what yeah. when was it that you sort of recognized things are getting out of hand I I need help with this this is too much so people had um mentioned like said things to me my friends my family um because every time I would come home they'd be like oh you've lost weight um and, you know, they'd notice that I was eating a little differently. Um, something I will always remember this, and it makes me really sad. My best friend, when she would come visit me, because she was in, in Boston, um, and she, like, she wanted to go eat something. She was hungry late at night. And she said, oh, let's go eat something. And I was like, oh, when I'm hungry, I just go to sleep. And she mentioned that to me later. Uh, and I, I just can't remember ever saying that, but it kind of stuck with me. So that's just an example of like my friends and family being concerned. Um, but I kind of ignored it and I was like, oh, I'm fine. Um, but after a while, oh, and also, so because my, my family was concerned, my parents suggested that I go see a doctor just to, you know, get a checkup, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, one of the doctors I saw was an OB and they did an ultrasound and they're like, oh, everything looks fine. Um, it looks like you might have PCOS, which yeah, now I know it know. wasn't because when I did get my period back normally uh, and I got an ultrasound, they're like, oh, everything looks great. So, you know, I was misdiagnosed with PCOS um, and I was told, oh, you know, your, your weight is fine. It's a little bit on the lower end, but everything looks fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. So it's just positive reinforcement validation. For, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so at one point it was probably two and a half years after I, everything had kind of started and I'd start college um that I realized that some something was actually wrong (laughs) that I needed help um I think it was actually I was um in a support group for teenagers and every every week or so we would talk about a different topic um it was teenage girls and one week it was eating disorders and I was not teaching that day so I was listening and as I as I was listening everything they said was me and it just shattered shattered my world I was I was just I just wanted to cry um so at that point I realized okay something needs to change here um I need help so I told my parents and everything kind of like moved really quickly it was a very very difficult decision but I ultimately decided to take time off of school to just focus on my health. Um, 
and I thought it was going to take just a few months, like at most, <laughs> but that wasn't the case. Uh, I was gone for, for a year, just focusing on, on my health. Yeah. Well, those, those thoughts and behaviors that we create get so strong so quickly. It's, yes. um, and as you said, you know, it started off so innocently, like, I'm just not going to have sweets, I'll eat more vegetables. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, it's just like a ball rolling. It just picks up speed, picks up speed until suddenly you're just so out of control that it's the food yeah. controlling you and your thoughts controlling you. And yeah. it feels like there is no way of putting the brakes on because what's life without all these rules and restrictions? Yeah. Um, and I can recall something similar to that like epiphany moment when you recognize that there's something wrong Mm -hmm. because it's almost like deep-seated you know things have been off for a little while but you've just got this perfect cover-up an illusion of health or goals or whatever it might be and you're like the image that everyone's striving for supposedly yes and you're getting all this (laughs) positive reinforcement and you're determined and you've got so much um willpower and I wish I Mm -hmm. could be like you and then something said to you that as you explain, it just shatters your world and you go, wow, there is something really not right. And as soon as that happens, you almost feel in that instant you have to change. And I find sometimes women that are going through eating disorders, regardless of the HA, that can be the back and forth until they actually get the help because they're kind of aware and then they dismiss it. And then they're kind of aware and then they dismiss it. But then something huge happens and it's almost whether you believe in God, spirit, high being, whatever it is, it's like they've come in front of you and gone, hey, enough. You Mm -hmm. you need to heal now. And that sounds like that epiphany that you had. It's like, wow, I can't escape this. It is literally in front of me. Every thing listed I've got, what am I going to do? And thank goodness for that timing. Yes. And I think actually what pushed me, you were saying like, oh, people just push it aside for a little bit. I, for about a month before I told my parents, I was in that situation. I was like, okay, I think I can do it on my own. Like I, I, I got this, I know what I, sh- I should be doing, but it was so, so difficult to do it at l- alone. And it got just so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what actually really helped me was actually opening up and asking for help. Cause if I hadn't, I would have continued probably for for years yeah did you find that so I'm a huge advocate for just speaking your truth and Mm -hmm. for my HA recovery and ED recovery I was very open about it on social media and it wasn't so much I wanted people to listen or respond it was just more I felt if I was highlighting it to everyone just so you know I'm about to gain weight I'm about to eat food I don't normally eat just so you know alert 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 uh-huh. it sort of took the the pressure off any potential reactions because it's like, well, I warned you. I told you I'm going to change. Yeah, right. Not that anyone really cares, but I felt <laughs> like I needed to alert everybody to the changes. Right. And also it gave me the accountability because it's like, well, I've thrown out there that I'm going to do this and I'm not one to turn my back on a goal. So yeah. if the goal is to recover from this, I'm throwing it out. Everyone must know because then I like it has to be done did you find that talking to your family friends sort of helped you just to commit to that path despite it being a really difficult path to take I think it made me commit because my 
my parents, I was, I think I was kind of not taking it as seriously for a while and not trying to, and kind of not admitting to myself that this was a big deal. Um, but my parents immediately started looking for like treatment centers and how to like get me the support. Cause I wasn't doing any of that. I was like, Oh, mm. well now it's in the open, you know, like I'm going to work on it. Um, but when my mom called me one day, it was like, I found this place. They had just moved um, from Spain to Texas, to the US. Um, so they're like, I found this place in Texas near home. Um, what do you like think about it? And it was around Christmas time. And, and she's like, if you want, you can come meet with them and see what you think. Um, so had I not opened up to them, I yes, I would not have taken the steps forward. Cause at first I was like, Ugh, I don't want to do that. Cause then I have to stop school and stop my life. And I don't want to do that. Um, so that kept me accountable. Um, but I was very ashamed of opening up to others. I told my closest friends, but I was so ashamed of having to go through this and having to get help and kind of needing to pause my life almost that's how I felt at the moment mm -hmm. needing to pause my life to focus on this um so there's a little bit of both yeah the the shame's a big one isn't it because it's, it's and I can't help but think it comes hand in hand with the idea that people kind of look at you as a role model because of your healthy choices and then yeah. suddenly you need help for your healthy choices and yeah, that that creates the shame because it's like the people kind of look up to me or they admire me and now yeah. I've got to go do something really personal and put myself first and yeah quote unquote disappoint them even though yeah. obviously if anyone who cares about you knows you're doing these changes to care for yourself of course they're going to support you and if they yeah. don't reevaluate that friendship yeah. um but the like I I will that feeling of shame is so strong and in hindsight it's so easy to kind of go oh my goodness like I wish I could give myself a hug back then yeah you know it's okay to honor yourself and it's okay to sure. ask for help and but in the moment that shame is strong really strong yeah it's yeah especially because I think I'd always carried this image of I mean I was in my early 20s but I'd always carried this image of having like a perfect life and kind of being a role model and someone that people could rely on and so suddenly I wasn't that person and so my my identity was kind of blown to pieces yeah yeah <laughs> so what happened treatment wise um did you end up going to the people that your mom suggested yes I did and it was such a great experience for me they were it's changed now but at the time it was kind of a small place and they had a, a psychologist a, a nutritionist a dietitian um and then they also worked with a psych um a psychiatrist and they had a doctor as well so I kind of had a team and also family therapist so I had like my little team that I saw weekly or sometimes more like a few times a week when I was probably during the hardest times mm -hmm. um and they were great I love them I'm still in contact with them once in mm -hmm. a while 
um, just kind of like giving them updates. Um, it was truly amazing. And I'm a dietitian now kind of because of, not kind of, because of that experience. And in yeah. fact, um, and I always told my dietitian this, I was so scared of her in the beginning. She was the scariest person for me. And I would get so anxious before, but even like days before I, I would feel so anxious. Mm. Um, so that was definitely the hardest part for me for a while until towards the end, I loved going to see her, <laughs> but the beginning I did not. Well, I guess it's that fear of being told what to do. It's like, all right, I know I need to change, but of all yes. things, please, someone do not take the control around food away from me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I personally didn't see a nutritionist or a dietitian um, throughout my recovery. And if, like, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. With the mind I've got yep. now, I probably would. But at the time, yep. I just remember being thinking about it so much. Like, what they could just guide me. They can tell me exactly what to eat and what to do. And then you don't need to think about it because you're good at guidance. You're good at following plans. Yeah. And just that little bird on my shoulder was like, yeah, but they're going to tell you what to do. They're going to tell you to eat something you don't want to eat. They're going to tell you to eat double the amount of calories. Blah, blah, blah. And the reality they're is gonna tell you, you guys you don't weight. do that. You guys <laughs> guide women. Yeah. You know, yes, weight gain, is, it's going to happen. And yeah. eating more, it's inevitable. Yes. Yeah. But you aren't savage and on first appointment, go, go double your calories, oh, yeah. go increase by five yeah. kilos. But we think that in our minds. Sure. It's like, oh, they're just going to force feed me. Um, yeah. yeah. So if anyone out there listening is thinking that, um, <laughs> you can get comfort from this conversation that that's not the plan. Um, no. So so what happened from there? You had this wonderful team behind you. You started to recover. Um, I'm assuming yeah. your thoughts and behaviours improved. You started to gain weight. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, the first probably say three to four months were really, really difficult. Um, I just had a really hard time processing what I was going through and accepting changes. Um, but I'd say around five months in, I started seeing, I started being more optimistic. I just, before that, I, I could not imagine my life without an eating disorder, like without, like what would my life be without what I've created? Even though I had an eating disorder for a couple of years, it still had consumed me. Mm -hmm. um, so um, it was around the fall. So I started treatment in the beginning of the year in January. Um, and by the fall in September, I had to decide if I was gonna go back to New York um, to continue with school. I ultimately decided to give it another semester um, with treatment, even though I was doing better. I just wanted to like feel even better before going back and kind of going back to New York and to yeah. the crazy. And all the triggers and... are there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was a, another very difficult decision, but I'm glad I did that. Um, so I could continue to improve and kind of work on, you know, my, my thoughts and behaviors and, in December, in January, I should say, the following January, I went back to New York to continue with school. Um, and again, this ties in with the feeling ashamed part, but the transition was actually 
pretty difficult. I loved being back and I was so happy to be back. And I had such a different mindset and view of how my life was going to be like in New York. And um, I, yeah, I had a very different outlook, but I still struggled with readjusting to living on my own. At the time when I moved back, I did, I was living with my best friend um, who I'd basically grown up with in, in Spain. Um, so it was nice to have that support, but I still felt a little alone and readjusting to life on my own was difficult. Cause at home, like when I was getting treatment, my parents were there. My, my mom would make me meals every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was difficult. And I did struggle a little bit with, with food and, um, kind of getting, after once I graduated from school, um, kind of getting my my life on track. My life was, I didn't have a lot of direction um, for a while. So that led me to kind of have some disordered eating. I wouldn't have, I, I didn't, I don't think I would have been diagnosed with another eating disorder. Um, but there was definitely some disordered some eating and yes, rules and, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and like, you know, kind of rediscovering this new freedom and kind of trying to balance all that out was difficult when I was alone. Um, so that was, you know, it took me a couple, couple of years after I finished school where I was kind of, I felt like <laughs> Now looking back, my life was kind of all over the place. Um, And at that point, I, um, and also during this time with the kind of disordered eating, I was also a Zumba instructor. Um, So that was another piece. And I did it because I actually truly loved it. Um, And it made me so happy, but you know, there was that exercise piece in there. Um, throughout those years, I was getting my period regularly. Um, and I, I wasn't on birth control at that point. I don't think I was, Mm -hmm. or maybe I was for a little bit, but most of the time I wasn't. Um, so a couple years later, a few things happened. Um, I met my now husband and I also decided to go back to school. Um, to nutrition school, which I'd always wanted to do something to give back, um, to kind of help others going through eating disorders. Um, I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew that was something I wanted to do at some point. And um, I met someone who was a dietitian. I was like, why? I worked with the dietitian for, for a year. <laughs> on a weekly basis and never did it occur to me that that could be a career I don't know why just didn't occur to me so as soon as I found out that I could do that I was like that's what I, that's what I'm gonna do that's that was the hardest part for me in recovery and I want to help others with that piece um that also might be really difficult for them so I went back to i made the decision very quickly um, and applied to school, got in. um, 
and a few months later, I started my master's in, in nutrition. Um, so at that point also when I should, there's a lot that was going on at this point. So when I started nutrition school, I'm not saying that all nutrition schools are this way, but in my experience, I was being taught basically, it was diet culture messages mm. often. So, you know, you were learning that these are healthy foods and these are foods that are going to give you chronic diseases. And, um, you know, you should eat more vegetables and exercise more and all these very diet culture messages that obviously I was internalizing. Um, and on top of that, um, this, it's not, it wasn't a spoken thing, but there was almost like a silent policing among students um, where everyone was like very healthy and had very healthy. If you were eating in class, it was a letter. you were having, what? It was like a letter. Oh, for sure. who's the healthiest and who's eating what and who's exercising how and we don't need to speak about it but we're watching yeah like if you ate it in class you had healthy snacks or healthy you brought a salad you didn't bring I don't know a sandwich or or a burger like you wouldn't do that yeah. <laughs> other regular foods you had to bring a salad or another healthy alternative whatever that meant um so there, yeah, there's like this silent policing, which again is not necessarily the case in all nutrition schools, but that was my experience. Mm -hmm. um, so all these kind of messages I internalized. Um, so that led to, I wouldn't say I was trying to, but I started losing some weight and my my eating became very more restrictive. Um, I started, I was still teaching Zumba, but I was also doing other exercise. Um, and I, I was teaching Zumba, I think a couple of times a week. Um, so there were the, the food rules and the restriction were building during this mm. time. Um, at this point, I also went on, um, in terms of birth control, I decided I didn't want to be on any hormonal birth control. So I got the copper IUD because that one doesn't have any hormones. Um, and soon after, I'd say a couple months after, um, and this had also been a, a few months into my master's, I my period started being irregular. Um, so I would go a few months without it and then I would come back. Um, and at first my initial thought was, oh, maybe it's the IUD. Like I know mm -hmm. other IUDs cause like make you skip periods. So maybe this one does it too. Um, so I kind of pushed it aside. Uh, I did go see doctors, um, who didn't take it very seriously they you know when I said maybe it's the IUD they would say no it's not the IUD um but no one really took it seriously because probably because my weight was I was in a normal BMI um 
and no one thought anything of it. Um, maybe I got some labs done, but everything looked normal in, in the beginning, especially. Um, so no one really said anything. So I just kept going with what I was doing. Um, and I just the, reflect on something you said as well with yeah. obviously when you're at school and you're learning all these things about nutrition and um, one, you obviously want to be the best dietitian you can. So you're taking yeah. everything on board because mm -hmm. I don't want to just learn this. I want to practice what I preach and I, I want to yeah. be a role model. I want to motivate people, you know, all those things we've heard and seen yes. before, but also the loaded language with like, we, we know that there is definitely better choices for our body to function optimally. Yes, that is yes. a reality 100%. But when you start linking certain foods as like, is it um, carcinogenics when they're cancerous? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And you know, you're, you're going to be high risk of heart attack and strokes yep. and all these sorts of things. And you're already a health conscious person. Suddenly, if you're in a vulnerable state, it's amplified so much where if I touch that food once, I could be at risk of cancer. Oh, yeah. And if I eat yeah. it once, I, I'm, I'm more likely to have a heart attack. And if you've already been sure. in that vulnerable spot, it's so easy to quickly go, well, I'm making these choices to save myself. Right. And at our core, exactly. we always just want to feel safe. Like we, mm -hmm. that's all we're searching for. We're searching for love and we're searching for safety. And then yeah. suddenly you're on the daily hearing, you know, if you want to live longer, eat your fruit, eat your veggies. Yeah. Whatever their guidelines were for me, because it's different in every country. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. <laughs> but suddenly it's like, I'm, I'm making these choices to save my life. And it's the context can be so easily blown out of proportion that no wonder yeah it's really common for nutritionists and dietitians to actually fall in that position yes. because they're just hearing it every day. Yeah. And that's actually a good point that you bring up that I forgot to mention. Um, there's actually a pretty, there's been studies on this, but there is a pretty high rate of um, eating disorders and disordered eating among nutrition, uh, nutrition mm. students and probably dietitians, I imagine as well. Um, so yes, I mean, it's a very easy path to fall into for sure. Like I'm, I'm completely making this timeline up. It's just a pure observation, but I notice the more, um, because nutrition and dietetics has become a lot more accessible and a lot more popular from what oh, yeah. I've seen in Australia anyway, in the past yeah. five, if not 10 years before that, I don't really recall ever hearing about it. Yeah. Um, but with that bulimia and anorexia has always been around, but there was the birth of orthorexia and mm -hmm. I'm definitely not blaming it on nutrition and dietetics teachings by any means. But I just, when I look back, I think about how um, those areas started to increase with, you know, educators and practitioners. And then all of a sudden orthorexia sort of started to come a, a popular word. Most people know what yeah. orthorexia is now where yeah. 10 years ago, someone would have said author what? I'm like, yeah, what is this? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's like, right, it's such a powerful place to be, to be learning yeah. as much as you can about food, but it's such yeah. a fragile balance because it can so yeah. easily turn dangerous. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you have to, unfortunately, there's a lot of things at least that I had to do um, to self-educate myself because I was when I was still in my master's I 
I felt kind of um, trapped almost. Like I, I wasn't getting the knowledge I wanted to get because I knew going into nutrition school, I wanted to become an eating disorder dietitian. That was my goal. And I, there was one class I took during the summer. So it wasn't even a full class that was eating disorders. That was the only class my program offered on eating disorders. Um, and that was my favorite class. In fact, the person that taught it was then my boss later um, in the eating disorder treatment center. But I, you know, that was all I got. That was all I learned in two and a half years. Um, so it's, yeah. So I know not all nutrition schools are like this and there's some that are evolving at least here in the US, but you would the think the, the modules would go hand in hand that yeah. you'd have that balance of, because, you know, the strive to be the healthiest you can, can lead to so yeah. many different conditions and just taking it too far. Um, yeah. And I, I know it's something pretty common in Australia where our, our GPs, our general practitioners, um, have very minimal nutrition education oh, yeah. throughout their whole time. And obviously yeah. they're general practitioners that you can't learn everything. But when you yeah. look at the balance, it's so out of proportion and they're yeah. actively giving nutrition advice that's outdated, incorrect, yep. dangerous. They're not mm -hmm. looking, you know, you look a healthy weight so I can give you this information and it'll help when really there's other things going on. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that there's a quick fix to these things by any way, shape or form, mm -hmm. but there definitely needs to be that sort of eating disorder awareness and yeah. almost, you know, just a better observation of, well, what's actually going on in people's minds before For sure. we make such suggestions. Yeah. yeah, getting more a more holistic view of the person versus yeah. just looking at the medical information that we can see. Um, and it's very similar in the US. Mm. Um, doctors here, medical students here get I think it's one class for a couple hours during yeah, medical school just... that they, yeah. And I mean, I get it. They have so much to learn. Mm. So something's going to, something's going to give. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, uh, so you're back doing your master's, you sort of recognize yeah. these things are coming in. You're taking them very seriously as you would. Um, yeah your period was sporadic. It was coming, it was going, mm -hmm. you had the copper ID. What sort of made you realize, oh, hang on, I've, I've fallen into a bit of a trap here. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, it was in the back of my head. I knew deep down inside that this was not normal. And that's why I'd gone to see a couple of doctors, but, you know, for a while I was like, well, this is kind of nice. I'm not getting my period. Like, and I just assumed that it was the IUD. Um, and I just kept doing what I was doing. Um, and things got worse, like a year and a half after I started my, my master's. So for dietitians, at least in the US, we do something, it's similar to a residency for doctors. So we do what we call a dietetic internship, which it typically is about a year. So I had that um, about a year and a half after, after I started school. Um, and that is 
was a very, very intense experience. It was very stressful, probably the most stressful time of my life. Um, because you're basically, my experience was, I was basically working full-time. Technically you were part-time, but I was almost working 40 hours a week. Um, and at night I was taking classes. Mm. Also during this time, I was engaged. So I was planning a wedding long distance. So there was just a lot going on and you're like learning everything. And while you're at work in the hospital doing the internship, everything is new. So you're just overwhelmed learning. Yes. Overwhelmed day in, day out. You go in super early, you leave kind of late, like running to class. Um, and I was literally running everywhere because I was, I was still in New York and I was, the hospital was in one part of the city and school was in the other part. So I, I was literally power walking everywhere. Um, so on top of that, you know, on top of the stress. Energy expenditure, the, the, stress, no time yeah. to eat, even if you wanted to. Yes. No, because I wasn't prioritizing so busy. that. That wasn't yeah. my priority. Um, yeah. it was and when you're learning. that busy too, you don't get hungry. Yeah, exactly. Like you forget just, about it. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just wanted to do, you know, do my best in the internship. So I was just, you know, if I don't eat until 3 p.m., well, so be it. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. So um, that was kind of my life for um, a year. So definitely at this point, um, my period became a lot more sporadic. I never fully lost it for years. It would be like nine months, six months, three months. It would be very random. Um, so I knew something was weird, but at the same time, I just felt like I did not have time to take care of myself at this time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I did go to a couple doctors um, and I did, you know, they, they're like, oh, maybe you're stressed. I think what actually pushed me over the edge was that I started losing my hair, like mm. in clumps. And I was not happy with that. <laughs> especially this is before because, the wedding? Yes. Yes. It's like we need a full head of hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm, am I going to need a wig? Like, what is this? Um, you Sorry, know, I'm, it's not like funny. I'm just giggling because obviously if you were just losing weight as a result of the busy lifestyle as the bride, you're like, yeah, I'll take it. Like if I lose a bit of weight, it doesn't really matter. Everything's still good. I'm achieving my goals when it comes to study. I'm about to get married. Everything's great. But you know, this something like hair, it's like, oh no, but I, I need a full yeah. head of hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so many things can sure. get swept under and justified, but not, not hair, no breakouts, no. <laughs> yeah. And, and also that's another thing I would get kind of random breakouts, nothing serious, but I would get random breakouts and it was very annoying um but the hair was the biggest thing for me and I actually had a class where we had to do like a research project and I actually did mine around hair loss I was like what like what can I do to stop this it was like a vitamins and minerals class and I was like are there any vitamins I can take the answer was no um <laughs> that was not the answer um so that was kind of what pushed me over the edge to be like, all right, I need to figure out what's going on. Um, so I went to a couple doctors, 
they did some labs. You know, I was looking recently to see if I could find my records and I couldn't, but I'm pretty sure some things were low, but nobody really said anything about it. They're like, oh, this is low, but whatever. Um, and I saw another doctor who, you know, I kind of shared what my life was like. And she's like, well, you know, maybe um, try to be less stressed, <laughs> like try to manage your stress better. And, you know, maybe you sh should eat a little more, but it wasn't a big deal. Um, like it wasn't taken it very sounds seriously. more like brainstorm. It's like, oh, you could do this. Yeah. You could do that. It's not yeah. a definite, you're, you're not eating enough and you need to slow down. Yeah. Yeah, so which doesn't both, get much confidence to do either. Because if it's a bit no. fluffy, it's then oh, like whatever. I'm too busy. Yeah, whatever. Well, not, yeah, random exactly. things might not work. Yeah, uh, and they both did. Um, this this wasn't like right at one after the other, but they did do Provera tests. The challenges. I'm pretty sure the first few that I did, I did bleed after, but the last one I didn't. Um, and I remember writing my doctor and being like, Hey, nothing happened. Is that okay? And she's like, eh, I can't remember her response, but nothing. Like it wasn't like, Oh, we should do more tests. It was like, okay, wait a little. And it's such a common response. Like I'm, I'm yeah. cringing for people that are listening to the, the audio is because yeah. it's so common that tests are ran results are provided with no guidance after that. Like even when it comes yeah. to the blood work, like the, the ranges are so large that if you yeah. just sit on the tip of that range, you're like, oh, no, you're good. You're fine. And it's like, oh, but maybe for you as an individual, you need to be much higher or you need to be much yeah. lower or there's so much variation. And it's just yeah. oh, like the amount of women I've spoken to, whether it be on the podcast or just in life that have come yeah. like, oh, no, you know, I had all these tests and these are the results. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Oh. Oh, she just said, come back in six months. Yeah. Like, like we That's need it. more. Yeah. 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 Never mind. Please continue. <sighs> so I also, um, at this, you know, because I wasn't getting any answers and I was getting very frustrated, I started doing some research myself. And if you look up missing period or anything like that, usually the first answer is going to be PCOS. And mm -hmm. You know, because I'd once been told that maybe I had a PCOS, um, I was like, well, maybe I do because I have, it's not like my period is completely gone. I get it sometimes and, you know, my hair is falling out. So that's also a common PCOS symptom. So, you know, maybe I have PCOS. Um, even though I knew in the back of my head that that probably wasn't the case but I wanted to find it's an easier answer. to believe that yes yes yeah. um so I got married I had hair I did not need a wig <laughs> um even though I was still like oh when they were doing my hair I was like oh touch don't it, touch please. it lightly please turn <laughs> yeah, don't blow. sorry I'm <laughs> yeah because you're smiling about it I feel that I can smile about it but it's not funny yes. like it's it's not no it's not at all, but, but looking back I like that was my biggest concern hmm. my hair um so I got married everything was fine and at this point I was like all right let me I had finished my dietetic so I finished the internship 
a few weeks later, I got married. So I was a little more relaxed. Um, I had a few more months to finish my master's, but I was working full time. So that was still a pretty hectic period and stressful. Um, around the time, like before, while I was still doing the internship, I came across intuitive eating. So that's what I was referring to. Like I had to do some self-education. No one had ever mentioned intuitive eating or anything like that in school. So that blew my mind. Just, it was a whole new field of nutrition that really resonated with me. And I was like, that's why I want to be a dietitian. Like this gave me the confidence to like, know what I was doing with my career define intuitive eating because I feel like even that term has been manipulated and changed and there's still hidden diet messages you know I I intuitively eat all the low calorie options um it's uh, yes you know exactly what I'm saying people listening know the intuitive eating like what does it mean if if you were to describe it to someone as you know, a professional who's also, you know, witnessed it, teaching it, how how would you describe Mm -hmm. intuitive eating? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Yeah. So I could talk like days about this. In fact, when I was in the eating disorder treatment center, I taught a class on it for weeks, (laughs) but in, in short, it's listening. Intuitive eating is listening to your body, which can be really difficult at first, but listening to your body's messages and cues to kind of basically take care of yourself and take care of your needs, whether that's eating, sleeping, um, moving, all of that, you're listening to your body because your body's always giving you, trying to communicate with with you. Um, And so kind of digging into that and ignoring all the messages you're getting from society, from diets, from anyone, friends, family, doctors, and really listening to what your body needs, which can seem very confusing at first. Like, what does that, like, what does listening to your body even mean? And that's a whole process in intuitive eating because we've, I always like to say to people, if you've ever seen a toddler or a baby eat, they will, when they're hungry, they will make it clear that they're hungry and they will eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they're not hungry, they will also make it clear that they're not hungry anymore. They'll push the food away, they'll, whatever it is. Regardless of how much they ate or how little they ate, they are very in tune with their bodies and what their body needs we still have that as adults. The issue is that we've gotten all these other external messages that have distracted us from what our body's trying to tell us. So intuitive eating is reconnecting with that toddler. I love that you brought that up because honestly, I watched Kasimi before that I was never really around young children. So I never had anything to pay attention to really. Yeah. But she is actually my role model when it comes to being around food. And even though I've overcome my eating disorders, you know, you've got lapsing thoughts are still kicking from time to time. And I find it so refreshing to watch her eat because like you said, they're 
they're either really hungry or they're or they're not. And yeah. even the timing of her hunger, you know, to a degree, we've still got this every three hours, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Mm-hmm. There's always some kind of time frame block, yeah. sun up, sun down, all those sorts of things. And she'll do a little hand gesture when she wants to eat because she can't talk properly. Oh, so cute. <laughs> does this, like show the fingers to her mouth, like feed me, feed me. And um, she might have just had like something, a decent sized meal and she'll start playing and playing and come back 10 minutes later and go feed me. And I'll go, oh, you're still hungry. Yeah. Okay. And I would never judge her because as yeah. an adult, it's like, but you just ate. Are you, you're really hungry yeah. again? And whether people yeah. say it out loud or not, it's it's a real thing for people to kind of look at you and go, but we just had breakfast, lunch or dinner. Mm-hmm. And in reality, if you're hungry, you're hungry. It yeah. doesn't matter what time yeah. of day it is or how early exactly. you just ate. And I'll offer her, say, a banana. And she literally might have two bites. Yep. And then she's done for a couple of And it's like yep. she ate everything. She started playing. It's like, oh, no, I'm not quite full yet. I'm not quite full yet. Where as adults, we tend to have this, no, if you're going to eat the banana, you commit to the whole banana. Or yep. if you're in a disordered eating behavior, <laughs> it's like, no, it. no, you can only have half. Yeah, you can't right. leave it. You can't. <laughs> maybe you can't half eat it. You can't. There's yeah. so many things and you can only eat certain foods for breakfast. You shouldn't be having mm-hmm. eggs and avocado on toast for dinner. Or And children aren't like that. They actually, no. honestly, she might have fruit salad for dinner some nights because she wants fruit. And in my yeah. mind, it's like, well, as long as you've got a full tummy, mum's happy. Yeah. And <laughs> You could offer her her favorite thing in the world. And honestly, she she dances if you give her a piece of chocolate. Like she loves it. She gets so happy. <laughs> and I might randomly offer her a piece of chocolate or a bowl of strawberries and blueberries because she loves those as well. And it amazes me how she'll eat the fruit. Because yeah. like you and don't get me wrong, sometimes yes, yeah, she goes for the chocolate. Of but course. I would I would think that she would always kind of pick chocolate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she doesn't, like, she, as you said, she really knows what she needs and wants. Mm-hmm. And even though they don't have the language, they are so in tune with, you know, I need fruit, I need a sandwich, I need, and they can't articulate. And it, oh, I, I could talk about it for so long because it, it amazes <laughs> me how much they know what they need. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to stop talking, so I'll just start off. Like, no, but, but it's it's like really said, inspiring to watch yeah. young children eat, and especially because they're not worried about judgment either. Like when she came back to me and said, 10 minutes later, I'm hungry, she didn't like whimper or cow or be like, oh, I hate to admit this, but yeah, I need two exactly. more bites. She was just like, hey, yeah, two more bites, give it to me. <laughs> like it's it's so simple and it's like yeah eating should be that simple it's like oh I'm not done yet I need a little bit more even if it's one teaspoon that's okay you don't have to have a full meal again exactly yeah Mm. Um, but as we get older and we internalize all these messages that we've gotten from from everywhere um we start doubting ourselves and start like think adding all these rules to to how we eat and I remember learning that when I was first dieting and you might have learned the same thing because I feel our timelines are quite similar and I remember hearing this um, as you get older you get desensitized to your hunger cues so you can't trust your hunger cues as a baby you know perfectly and as an adult it's wrong it lies to you and I remember going that hey that's true because that's why I'm a little bit heavier because Mm -hmm. my body just tells me I'm hungry when I'm not and that 
comment was completely taken out of context. I now know that's actually, while children don't have all these rules and restrictions and ideas, they only know hungry, not hungry. Yeah. But when I heard that statement back then, I made up what that meant. And I sometimes kick myself and going, oh, honey, if only you actually dug into that statement and understood the context of it. Because I I believe that was the very, very beginning of it. You can't trust your own hunger. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you do you find sometimes that's with like whether whether yourself or even your clients that you kind of go, look, you, you haven't been eating for so long that your hunger cue's taken off. For sure. But yeah. you need to refeed so that that hunger cue can come back. And they go, no, 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 I just don't have one. I don't get hungry. Yeah. Like, why are you trying to make me get or, hungry? Mm-hmm. Or I often hear like, I have no self-control over food. Like mm, I need yes. these rules because others, otherwise I would just be like eating all the time, eating everything. Um, and it's often part of what I do with clients is just, it's a teaching process and it, it requires a lot of trust, <laughs> which is hard, mm-hmm. but just saying like the fact that you feel out of control is a very biological response. It's an amazing response that your body has to make sure that you can survive. If you didn't have that food, if you didn't like people say, oh, well, I binge at night. Well, if you didn't have that binge, then your body wouldn't have enough to survive. So it's just looking for whatever is going to give it quick energy so that it can continue functioning and keep you alive. Um, If you think about how we were thousands of years ago, sometimes we would have food, plenty of food, and then we might go a few days or weeks with very little food. So when we had the food, we had to make sure that we had as much as possible so that we could survive later on. So we still have that biological response to like, your body doesn't know that you're dieting. It just thinks that you're going through a famine. Mm -hmm. So it's going to react as if you're in a famine. And when it sees food and, and you allow yourself to have the food, it's going to say, okay, let's have all of it because we need to make sure that we survive. Who knows when the next fade's coming again. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that you brought in that scientific response though, because sometimes, you know, on the mind side of things, different statements work for different people and different stories work for different people. And I know for some having like connecting those dots of this is a biological response. This isn't you not having willpower. This is your brain keeping you alive. And no matter how much you try and prevent this binge, if you don't start feeding yourself properly throughout the day, it's not about willpower. Like your brain will take yeah. over and it will say, enough, we have had enough. You are going to eat and I'm going to make sure we're of it. We're going to save you. We're, yeah. we're going to save you. That's right. And yeah. like you said, you know, back hundreds, thousands of years ago, that's that's how life was. And we're so primal yeah. still. Like, yes, we've evolved. Yeah. But those um, those thought processes, it's so ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know we're yeah. thinking it. And, we, yeah. and that's half the point. Because yeah. if we were left to think about it, well, you wouldn't be very well. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I love that you brought that in because for a lot of people listening, they might not have heard that before and they're going, oh, oh, so it's not my willpower. No, no yeah, it's got nothing, nothing to, to do, do with your willpower. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So going back, I mean, I could talk days about this, <laughs> but this discovering intuitive eating, like really 
changed my life. Um, and at that point I was like, all right, I am not an intuitive eater. I have all these food rules and I spent a long time whenever I could find any free time at that point. Um, I would like read it and reread it and um, it really resonated with me. So after, after I finished my dietetic internship and got married, I was like, all right, I do think I'm aware that I lost weight. So I probably should gain, regain, restore some of, some of the weight. Um, and I did know in the back of my head that my missing period probably had something to do with my eating habits, but I didn't want to admit it probably because you know I was a dietitian now. So I was like the, I was supposed to be the role model. And how could I admit that I had issues with food? Um, so I didn't want to admit that. Um, so after I was married, you know, I had these thoughts. I was like, all right, I should probably focus on this. But I still had some excuses. Like the following year, we had a bunch of weddings of our friends' weddings um, throughout the year. And I was like, well, I'm in some of these and I have these dresses that I need to fit in. So, and I also, because we had the weddings, I was like, I don't want to be pregnant during the weddings. Like, I want to be there. I don't want to miss them. So, you know, I kind of gave myself excuses to not fully commit to it. Um, and along the way, I, you know, I kept doing some research. I don't know how, I think actually do know how I came upon, I used to read um, Robin Noling's uh, blog. I don't know if you've seen it or heard about no, it. No, I haven't. I'll have to look um, it up. The Real Life RD is her, she's on Instagram, The Real Life RD, and that's also her website. Um, I used to follow her, her blog, and one day she wrote about hypothalamic amenorrhea. And I was reading and I was like, oh, never heard of this before, but this is, sounds like me. Um, because in the moment I was like, I don't have an eating disorder. I know what that looks like. And I know I have disordered eating probably, mm -hmm. even though I didn't want to admit it, but it's not an eating disorder. And when I saw this, I was like, oh, that's me. And through that, I somehow came across Nicola Rinaldi's work. Um, I immediately bought her book. I was like, all right, if I'm going to be serious about this, I need a plan. Like I need something to guide me. Um, so I bought her book. I probably read it or the bulk of it in a couple of days. Um, and it was still the middle of the wedding season. So I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Like I have steps that I can take, um, but I still didn't fully commit. I did start making some changes. I did gain some weight during that time, um, but I was nervous. And so moving along, <laughs> I, um, once the wedding season was over after that summer, um, I was like, all right, I have no excuses. Um, also, I was less stressed. I was, 
I had finished my master's, so I was just working. Um, and we were traveling less at this point because we didn't have all these weddings. So I was like, all right, I have no excuse to not commit. So I, um, I started making changes. And I will say I had basically stopped exercising, you know, more like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like more strict exercise. I wasn't planning exercise or workouts. It's like spontaneous. Yeah, it was spontaneous. And, you know, I was kind of trying to make an effort to not work out for a little bit um, because I'd read that that could help. Um, So probably for a year, I hadn't really formally been working out. Um, So I started making mostly what I was working on was my food intake. Um, So I probably started like end of September and by around a month or so in, I started noticing changes in my cervical mucus and like some signs that maybe my period was coming back. And so I was like hopeful, but also doubtful. (laughs) Um, And when I thought I was supposed to get my period, I didn't get it. And I was kind of bummed. Um, the next day I was like, let's, why don't I just take a pregnancy test? Just, just to check. And I was pregnant. <laughs> so you didn't even get the period. I did not even get oh, my period. Oh, I didn't back. see that coming. <laughs> that was a great and surprise. I, I mean, I was so 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 shocked (laughs) yeah I I couldn't believe it I um so I I took the test in the morning I I used to go to work very early before my husband even would be up so I took the test in the morning and it was two very faint lines so I was like maybe it's like a false positive and so I took another like a pregnancy strip thingy that I had and it also came out with two like very faint lines. And I was like, ah, oh, well, now I have two. So I went to work because I had to go. And basically the rest of the day, I could not work. So I did all this research. <laughs> oh my I did all of my research on whether this, like if you could get a false positive and everything that I read was no, regardless of how faint it is, you're pregnant. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm pregnant. <laughs> and well, so I told my husband that night and then basically I think it was the following day or soon after, it's like, I just need to make sure this is real. So I went to doctor and they confirmed the pregnancy and I was pregnant. Oh, I love that yeah. story on so many levels. <laughs> and I'm so glad I didn't know that that was the ending before you told me. <laughs> Um, oh my goodness, that's beautiful. And I, the pregnancy test thing, I can completely relate. Um, so I fell pregnant after maybe three periods, so four months after I recovered mine. And I remember I just felt weird in the stomach. And I started keeping a food diary because I'm like, maybe I've got food intolerances that kick back up. I feel weird. I'm not restricting, but I just, yeah. maybe I'm eating something that I haven't recognized is setting off my tummy. Sure. And then um, I just, you know, took one test and it was negative and I was like oh you're crazy like you know you're crazy you're not you know you're not going to be pregnant then two days later I was like this is weird like I just feel (laughs) so weird and my period was late but 
because it was so early on right that didn't ring an alarm bell it was just Uh because I'd already missed one in that little space and then I saw that faintest of faint line and it's so funny how I went from I can't possibly to I'm looking at it I'm like no 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 like it can't be true (laughs) yes and I just remember googling like how how much of a line does a line count like yeah. Does it need to be the solid pink? Because it's not hot pink. It's just like a, nope. it's a tinge, but it's definitely there, but it's not super there. And then I yeah. remember jumping on YouTube, like pregnancy tests, what looks real? Google images, what? <laughs> like on a scale of one to 10, yep. how pregnant is pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> so I love that you're comparing the lines because I remember oh my gosh. spending an hour analyzing this line. Oh yeah. And um, my husband was at work. My dog just had major surgery. I was at home with her. Oh. and. I've still got a box of, I'm going to say about 16 pregnancy tests in there. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't stop peeing on sticks for like two weeks. Oh my gosh. Like morning no. and night. Cause surely like this isn't real. And then they just got yeah. darker and darker. And I remember two weeks after the test walking into the room and my husband's like, did you just take another test? Cause I had this <laughs> massive smile and I'm like, you've got no idea. I'm so pregnant. Like, look at this one. Cause it was hot pink. I did that too. <laughs> like a couple weeks after, I was like, I don't feel anything. Well, I was feeling sick, but I was like, let's just. I need the reassurance. Let's just make sure. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, dark did that 12 week mark. I'm like, oh, it just makes me feel better if I see that pink line. Yeah. So, um, yes, I, I just love that story on so many levels, but I love the, <laughs> the stripe analysis because I did the same. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Google. And, actually, and of course I'd... you couldn't work all day because it's just like, oh no, you're growing like, a human. Like I'm growing a human. Like... Does that, can anybody yeah. tell? Like I can tell, well, I can tell now. <laughs> that so Friday, it was a Friday actually. And that entire day was like, well, I might a as blur. well go home because. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's actually, beautiful. What gave me the first kind of like eh, inclination that I might be pregnant was I was taking an Uber somewhere. um, And usually I don't get motion sickness in the car and I can read things in the car and I'm fine. But I read, I looked down at my phone and I felt so dizzy. Like I had to open the window. It was two seconds, but I had to open the window and just like, get some fresh air and I was like that's so strange like that that's never happened to me so that I was like could I Mm. possibly be pregnant so that was the first like wonderment so that was a little (laughs) bit before you took the tests when you looked down yeah yeah oh Oh my gosh I'm smiling on the inside and out (laughs) fantastic I love it and obviously you had a you had carried full term because now you've got your beautiful daughter yeah Yeah, she was um, 40 weeks and three days. That's when she was born. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. What a journey for you. What an incredible journey. Yeah. And now you're helping so many women get through these tough times. Do you want to share a little bit about what you do with women? Because obviously intuitive eating is a massive part. And I know so many women are on the hunt for someone to help them return to their intuitive self when it comes to food and just life um Mm -hmm. how do you help women what do you love to do most just anything and everything yeah um so I currently most of the work I do or all of the work I do right now is one-on-one but I am working on coming out with a small group program soon so that's in the works but right now 
Um, my work is one-on-one -on -one and I, my main ultimate driver is to get women to get their periods back, get healthy cycles back and ultimately get pregnant, whether it's something you want right now or you wanted yesterday, or it's something you want in the future. And I always say there's, it's never too, too late to start working to optimize your fertility because often we don't really pay attention to our fertility until we want to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, paying attention to that because it is such an important part of your health is really important. Um, so kind of the work that I love to do is breaking those food rules. I just love, it's very difficult because at first you're so stuck in those food rules and you can't possibly imagine what the alternative is but working on those and trying to dismantle them. And um, that I love doing that and kind of seeing the transformation and seeing people on the other side, um, feeling the freedom around food with their bodies, um, with exercise, that's, I just love seeing that transformation. And obviously if pregnancy is something they want, hearing about pregnancies is just, so exciting of course sure. and you know if someone's watching the youtube obviously they'll see your glowing smile because you can, you can <laughs> see your passion and you can hear your passion yeah and it's it's wonderful and obviously having those personal experiences as difficult as they were it makes you so much more empathetic and relatable to your clients because it's like yeah you know i i understand how hard it is and i also understand how incredible life is beyond this exactly um, yeah and, and i think that's kind of what drove me to do this work was I felt so lonely during my path, my journey. I mean, my husband knew and that was pretty much it. Nobody else knew what I was going through, but I felt so lonely and so, again, ashamed of what I was going through um, that it was difficult to share. And I, the, I think the biggest regret I have is not getting the help that I needed and deserved, frankly, um, because I feel like it would have been less confusing. It would have been probably quicker because ultimately it took me four or five years to admit it, to start making changes, to commit. Um, so having that accountability and that support was something that I wish I'd looked for. Um, and at that time, you know, I found some support, I guess, through uh, no period now what, but actually speaking to someone and getting, you know, regular contact and support and pushing me, um, that's what I really wish I had. And there's so much of it now, or there's more of it now, which is so amazing. Um, but I definitely wish I had reached out. Yeah. And it's like, I, I can see it and relate to it in so many ways on the reaching out for help. I ended up doing a, it by myself and yep. I agree that I probably could have cut the time in half if I was willing <laughs> sure. to help because the amount of battles between, all right, you need to do this no, 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 you're overreacting. Everything's fine. Yep. Like you're fine. This is healthy. And then you'd mm -hmm. back 
And then you go, no, no, you really need to work on this. All right, I'll work on it for two days. Whoa, 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 this is too much. Let's sidestep, let's deviate, let's pretend it's not happening. Where, you know, a big part doubt. of our, the doubt, of course. And it's like, no, this, this uh, eat more, train less is not for me. Surely that's not mm-hmm. healthy. And all the stories you feed your fears yeah. so that you don't create change. When, you know, I guess a, a positive of the personality types that tend to fall in to this situation are very goal-driven and task-orientated. Oh, sure. So if you can find someone you trust and is willing to take steps that match your motivation to change, yeah. it it does become more inspiring and fun because more it's more of a team working together than you kind yeah. of deciding the next step and, you know, the back and forth. It's like, hey, yeah. we've got a plan now. How great is this? Yeah. Let's just slowly move forward, fast forward. You know, you pick the pace, but... We, we've got this plan and yeah. if I if I was to do it again you know hindsight's a beautiful thing it's like oh I just wish I picked my tribe whether yeah. you know and I yeah but hindsight's a beautiful thing and that's yeah. why the podcast is great because we can share yes the pros the cons the yes. roller coaster of emotions and experiences sure. and the light at the end of the tunnel yes exactly um, it has been yeah. such a pleasure chatting with you and yeah. I can't believe how quickly time has gone by. I know. <laughs> um, it's just, it's been wonderful, but it's late where you are. It's time for you to go to bed. My day yeah. is only midway through, so I'm I'm ready to rock. Thank but, God um, for, for technology. I know. Thank goodness. And thank you so much for taking the time to come out here and, and yeah. chat with all of us. And it's just, thank you so much. Now, if anyone wants to it's find been so you, much fun. It is the pregnancy.rd on Instagram. I will put yep. all of that in the show notes. Um, Great. And yes, keep keep working your magic. Thank you so much. This is so much fun. Absolutely loved it. We'll see you next time. Bye.